Welcome to PICGO Happenings. I'm your host, Diana McFarland. I'm here to give you a front row view of county government. All right, so today I'm here with Eric Kramer, who's the president and CEO of River Street Networks. Eric, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So I guess to start, tell us a little bit about yourself and your role with River Street Networks and kind of a little bit about River Street. Sure. So um, I've been in the rural broadband industry since 2005 with Wilkes, but I I really started back in 1996. I was a consultant for rural um, broadband companies. Mm -hmm. When I came to Wilkes, I came there as the CFO in 2005. I took over in in 2010. And ever since then, it's just been sort of a a wide open exercise in in upgrading our existing networks to fiber the home and then creating um, really what River Street networks is a number of different acquisitions and grant funded opportunities. We've had significant amount of success in getting federal funds for certain projects, both uh, fiber to the home and and wireless. And so Mm -hmm. that's uh, a little bit about my history. Mm -hmm. I, I I would say that in a nutshell, our model is a cooperative model. We look at the entire model the same. And so we've been very successful in looking at strategies and approaches to how to fund building networks in areas that don't have the density to um, support a regular business case. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Wilkes um, TMC, our cooperative, is based in Wilkes, but we now have a very uh, significant presence in Virginia. We have over 50 employees here located uh, between Gretna and Danville. Uh, we acquired two companies, one in, in, based in Gretna, People's Mutual Telephone, mm-hmm. and then the Gamewood Technology Group based in Danville. So that was really our first um, foray into investing in Virginia, Gamewood, the Danville Network, but also King and Queen County. That was a wireless project um, that the county owned that we managed. Sort of, they were reaching an inflection point on, you know, hey, how do we get broadband connectivity to the entire county? And they had to make a choice between should we do it with fixed wireless or fiber? And we had brought some federal funding to the table and um, work with the county to come up with a holistic solution on how to build to every single home. And we're well into that project. We're actually cutting customers over now. So that that's what's led us to where we are today um, with our approach and how we look at public-private partnerships. It, it really uh, sort of tells that story of where we started in our conversations with Pennsylvania County. That template for how we want to approach successful partnerships is um, what we've done here. Right. And I think that the most important piece of that is buy-in and engagement from and commitment from the stakeholders. Mm-hmm. And that's what we've seen, right? Just recently with mm-hmm. the MOU that we came in partnership with the county and the school system, mm-hmm. that type of commitment is how you get some of these things done. And hopefully we get some good news on you know, some additional funding. Right. Yeah. No, and I, I talked to, to Dave Arnold, who's sort of overseeing this from our end, you know, on, on the show last week, and he went through the, the MOU and, and what that agreement means. And then also the first part of that being that $75 million fiber to the home project that's supposed to reach 12,000 unserved customers plus, plus some more along the way. Yep. That's a big deal. $75 million is a lot of money, a ton of money. And so we had done a broadband expansion plan for the county. We were really focusing on wireless first and then right. fiber second. We actually acquired another company, a wireless company that had won a wireless grant in uh, Pennsylvania County to serve a portion uh, of the county. It was it was seven it was seven towers mm-hmm. and had a certain amount of coverage. And that was what we announced in, in earlier this year in March. True, mm-hmm. right? And, and so we had talked about how do we expand our wireless coverage uh, to a point where let's try to bring something a stopgap solution. And at the time when it was originally conceived, we thought, okay, this is a, a pretty good idea. 
as things started to progress with the stimulus funding that was available, the available funding from the state, as well as the monies the county received, and I think you know walking through options, or we do we want to make a twenty-year, seventy-five million dollar investment that's scalable over a longer period, or do we want to throw some money at something that really doesn't have a lot of scale? Right. And, and so, what's the best use, the most responsible use? of the stakeholders' money, as I say stakeholder county, all the residents' money, mm-hmm. and you have this pot of money you can do something with. And I think that when you look at um, what the school system has done and the county has done, is it, sort of uh, really come to the table and say, this is something that we need and we need it now. And we've been very fortunate to be able to leverage the investment we already have in the county with the amount of funding we receive. We've been you know, very uh, successful in the last several federal auctions of what they give out as support for upgrading networks. Mm-hmm. We won practically all of the money that was available in Pennsylvania County. And uh, you also mentioned you know, our, our board of supervisors coming in, our school board, and saying you know, this, this needs to happen now. Mm-hmm. You know, before they had sort of taken the position of, we'll, we'll help facilitate any broadband expansion, but not we're, we're not going to get into the game ourselves and, and put any any skin in the game, I guess. Obviously, with the pandemic, I think playing a big part in it, that mindset has changed. They're of the mind that they they want to play an active role in this and that this does need to happen. You know, there is there's no more denying the Internet is an essential service, just like electricity is. Mm-hmm. So they're, you know, put, putting their their investments in to make sure that, that this can happen for our residents. So with your experience and, and you even mentioned, you know, other other similar localities that you've worked with to get mm-hmm. fiber to the home even when it is very rural and not right. not necessarily cost effective for a business to come in yes. without significant outside funding. Mm-hmm. So walk me through one why, why that digital divide is there. I guess okay. why it's hard to get internet to to these places. Sure. And then two, you know, sort of I guess just just a little bit more about how your business model works of of overcoming that funding gap to get the internet there. And and so what we're going through now is very similar to what happened in 1950. So 1950, the the Rural Electrification Act w- was was created to help build the copper electric networks mm-hmm. as well as what were the traditional telephone copper networks mm-hmm. to provide phone service. There was this basic tenet of universal service. And so once the networks were built based on what were low interest government based loans to build the network, then you have to look at how do you have the business case to support the cost. At that point in time, the large companies contributed to a pooling mechanism that helped support costs in areas for companies that were too hard or too expensive to serve. And that concept was called universal service, meaning everyone should have access to affordable telephone service and be able to dial 911. And that's how these copper networks reached every single home. It was a mandate, basically, and it was funded. And then dial-up became a thing mm-hmm. using the same existing copper lines. And then we had something called DSL which was a way to use copper lines to get service at that time that was 256K uh, down, then it went to a meg and a half. And at that time, that was, that was pretty fast. Mm-hmm. As demand grew um, exponentially uh, of what the internet could do, and we're talking over the last 10, you know, 12 years, DSL it had reached its limitations. And, and, and that's when the FCC started saying, how do we fund these networks? And a lot of these large companies that had copper networks had decided that the concept of universal service for them, it really wasn't worth the cost of doing it. Hmm. And when you accept this, this funding, large companies and small companies, that you had an obligation to provide service to someone and you had to build to them regardless mm-hmm. of the cost. Right. And these large companies are publicly traded and they made some decisions to say, we're not going to take the money and, and that way we won't have that obligation. Mm-hmm. And then what you started to see was they knew that these copper networks in very rural areas, the cost to um, upgrade them to fiber, which is where it was headed, was too much. Right. So they looked at ways of saying, 
how do we get some stopgap funding just to upgrade these copper networks? So the FCC made definitions of what they would fund. At first, it was the definition of what broadband was, was four and one, which means four megs down and one meg up. Mm -hmm. And that was inadequate at the time. Um, then it went to 10 and one. And so all these copper networks in the entire country were being funded over a period of time. And they were disincentivized to do anything more than upgrade their copper networks to 10 and one. Mm -hmm. And they had um, basically a horizon to know that here's a revenue stream and you can only duct tape and bubble gum and patchwork together these networks, but that, then this, this money would go away. And, and, and so that's where we're at today is basically in a lot of the areas where these large companies served and their copper networks, they didn't have any incentive to upgrade the existing copper. They're almost disincentivized. They began to start selling off a lot of these assets, and then they were sort of really leaving them to die on the vine. Mm -hmm. And then the FCC had determined that, okay, maybe we'll go ahead and take the existing support that we have that we're giving these large companies and put it out to auction and see if someone else wants to take that money and upgrade these networks. Right. That's what happened in 2019. Uh, we, we started receiving funding for in, in what was called this Connect America Fund mm -hmm. auction. We won some funding there from the federal government. We won some in Pennsylvania County and other places in, in Virginia. Very successful in that auction. Then they started putting together loan funds and or grant funds for some of these areas. And that first auction, these large companies, they were given the option to say, do you want to keep getting funding for a certain amount of time or do you want to give up certain areas? So they had a, a right of first refusal on places they wanted to keep or not keep. And that was what that first auction was. And we participated in that. Mm -hmm. Then they went and decided they were going to auction off the rest. And they didn't give the large companies the option to keep anything. Everything was on the table that was eligible. And so the, it, what they determined was eligible was anyone who was receiving a speed based uh, less than 25 and 3 as people that are unserved. We right. feel that unserved is anyone that doesn't have 100 up and 100 down, 100 meg up and 100 meg down. That's mm -hmm. the lowest speed we offer on fiber. The typical speed we offer, the highest speed we offer residentially is 1,000 by 1,000, which is a gig by a gig, which is um, what we're planning on doing in the county. In the second auction, the maps were originally defined in the telephone world based on exchange. So you have an area code, a, you know, a three-digit number, then another three-digit number. Mm -hmm. So the entire country was based on what these telephone exchanges were. So the FCC said in a broadband world, let's go back and let's re redefine what the country looks like based on who has broadband and who doesn't have broadband. And so they, they carved the, the country up into first census tracts, which were zip codes. Then they decided to go into what are called census block groups. Mm -hmm. Census block is a very small geographic area. And every company that provides internet service has to report to the FCC who they provide service to and at what speeds. And right. so as long as they report that they can provide service to one customer in a census block, then that census block is considered served. So if they say they can get to one person in, and let's say there's 101 homes, then all 101 homes are considered mm -hmm. served, mm -hmm. right? So we want everything in Pennsylvania County between the first auction and the second auction. The first auction was called Connect America Fund. The second one was called the Rural Digital Opportunity Fund. Mm -hmm. That was around one. Right? We want everything that was available except two locations between both auctions in Pennsylvania County. So based on what's currently eligible, we're going after funding for every single location that we think we can get funding for. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we plan on doing in the future is going after any available funding on a statewide level, federal level, whenever they decide to make other locations eligible. Right. The only way there'll be more locations eligible if they change the definition of broadband. That's trending toward saying anyone that doesn't have 100 meg down and 20 meg up will now be considered unserved. Here's what we know today and what's been awarded today in funding and what could be funded by the state. But there will also be eligible funding down the road. 
So part of what we wanted to put together was a plan, a holistic plan, trying to take advantage of any kind of funding resource, be it through the, a local partner being a county, a state program like the VADI program in Virginia, and federal funding like what we're seeing with the two auctions I mentioned, CAF and ARDOF, as well as federal infrastructure programs through um, and, and government issues like NTIA and USDA and right. low interest loans. The holistic project that we're looking at currently is about a $300 million project. If you carve out Pennsylvania, it's $75 million mm -hmm. of a $300 million project. Yeah, no, absolutely. I want to touch on a few things that you've talked about. So one, this is all very complicated. That's the, that's the reason that this, you know, that, that everyone in Pennsylvania County and all these other rural areas in, in Virginia and across the country essentially don't already have internet, is that this is all very complicated, very expensive. And what we're talking about with this project of, of in Pennsylvania County, about 12,000 12, plus locations that will be passed with this initial project, obviously that's not the end. River Street Networks, Pennsylvania County, Pennsylvania County Schools, we're committed to finding those other funds that are out there or that will be out there to continue to reach every, every person. You'd mentioned the fixed wireless because I think some people saw this announcement. They're like, oh, didn't you already say you were doing that? The answer is no. You know, that, that, right. was, that was about a stopgap solution. That, that yeah. was a good solution in our minds with, with the resources we had available at that mm -hmm. time. At that time, yes. But quickly, as you said, became apparent that, okay, one, there's more ur urgency here. Two, there's more funding here. Why would we invest so much in the stopgap instead of the fiber, which is ultimately the best Right. The best of the best. That's all the questions that I have. I mean, is, is there anything else, whether it be about location or just the, the deployment of this county-changing project that, that you think people should know? And, and obviously, this is all predicated upon us receiving a, an award from the state. Right. Before the end of the year, we'll know. And so we want to have everything set up. So as soon as we get the green light, snap our fingers and just unleash the hounds, basically. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll have maps. We will have the phases put out there. We can't get specific about that at this point in time or the details of our agreements and things like that because they still have to be you know, finalized once an award is, mm -hmm. is approved. But a lot of that groundwork has been laid. And, and so what we hope is that this is the beginning of something that we can expand upon. Between the CAF and the ARDOF and this VADI uh, application, it is over 14,000 total locations. It may, it will likely pass more people. Than right. Mm -hmm. This is a, a lifetime partnership for us. And if we didn't feel that way or we didn't have that reciprocated by and the stakeholders of the county, um, you know, the powers that be and the school board and so forth, then we wouldn't be having this conversation. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And I just want people to know that we're fully committed to doing this, fully committed to bringing as much money to the county as possible to leverage that initial investment. Thank you for listening to Pitco Happenings. I hope you learned something informative. If you have a question or want to make a comment, give me a call or send a text to 434 489 8739